Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, grace, and mercy as always, Lord. Just thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can celebrate communion on the other side of the cross, Lord. Thank you that it has already been accomplished for us in your love and grace and mercy, Lord. We don't need dead ashes on our head to remind us that we died with Christ on that cross and we have been resurrected to new life. Thank you, Lord, that we are free of the bondage to sin and we are free to love you and serve you and love one another. And thank you for the blessing that you are. Thank you for your precious word, the anointing that rests on your word and on me. And thank you for using me today to help others to break every yoke in their lives and be free, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Been talking about pride. Humility and the Word of God and the times in which we live and sort of trying to make it all practical, make it all make sense, make it all come to life in our lives on a day-to-day basis. I mentioned the fact a lot of times that most of our Christian life is not spent in this corporate setting where we feel so strong and powerful and encouraged and reinforced, but alone. And I'm not speaking that over anyone, that you'll be lonely, but I'm just saying, the fact is, we are not always there where we can reach out to one of the ministry gifts in the body, someone there to always pray for us or encourage us or heal us. But we need to know that Jesus is always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We need to have that strong personal relationship. That is where the power comes from. You can't find it in Buddhism or Hinduism or any other religion. Religion is not the key. And there are spiritual laws in place. And we are learning to cooperate with them for our benefit and for the benefit of those that we encounter. Amen? I mentioned last week where Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 verse 12 mentioned for the first of three times a spiritual law in which he said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So with God, remember the way up is down, the way down is up. And the responsibility is ours. He's not going to force you. I mean, well, yeah, he will... There are tests and trials and the enemy, when he has open doors into your life, he will accept the invitation. So there are lots of different ways for humility to come or opportunities. But believe me, I've ministered in prisons where I've met men that have been there for many times, you know. And uh, I had the very distinct impression that if they left right then, they'd be right back. They hadn't learned a thing, and they were older than me. So, age does not make one wise. It's a choice. (laughs) We have to exercise our free will, which is something God gave us, so that we would choose Him freely, of our own free will, and He wouldn't have a robot family, but one that actually chose Him for Him. But humility does not originate in our emotions. And so we need to realize that it's not always a feeling, it's a choice. 
It's a matter of our free will, and it's it come. It, it it will be it will be expressed in our actions, just like our faith. You see. And you may say, "Well, yeah, I'm I'm humble, but I'm just not a patient person, <laughs> or I don't really." Uh, I don't really have self-control. You know, I mean, if I want something, I just get it or I just do it. And some of us are just wired that way, you might say. Well, if you keep saying what you see, you're going to have what you say. You need to realize that the Bible says in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, says the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace that are already yours in abundance in your born-again spirit. So the part of you that does identify with God and has been reborn and rejuvenated and renewed and then sealed so it's incorruptible is always filled of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, it is. And we need to just learn to draw on that. Basically, a good thing to sort of put in your mind if you're looking for a picture of how to this works properly is just learn to live inside out. Most people live from the outside in. They live out of the flesh. You know, feels good, do it. Don't feel good, don't do it. Or their emotions. You know, even psychology is aware of the soulish realm. They know we have a personality, a mind, a will, and emotions. And that's what they deal with. The emotions. But really... Those of you who say, I can't help what I think. Yes, you can. There's another part of you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says you are spirit, soul, and body. And God is a spirit, John 4.24. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we need to learn to live inside out from what's really happened on inside of us. We really did die and we're born again and we have a new nature now. Not that old sin nature that came all the way from Adam and Eve or Adam, but we have God's nature, the very mind of Christ on the inside of us, the kingdom of God, and we need to learn to agree with that. Amen. James 4.10, that same law is spoken. Humble yourselves before the Lord and you will be exalted. So again, this is a spiritual law at work and it's a guarantee. In other words, you might say, call it a promise. One of those 8,000 promises that are all for you. Yes and amen. You might look at it as a negative thing. Well, that's only if you're living on the wrong side of it, you see. And even if you're living on the wrong side of it, you can still see it as a positive thing because I always like the idea that I have something to do with it. If it's all up to God, the sovereignty of God is complete. Anything that happens, that was God's intent. That's a lie. You have a part to play, and that's good news. Because God is faithful, and God is good, and everything good from God, as long as it's from God... What the world calls good is not always God. We have to qualify that. But it's yes and amen for you if you would just get into agreement with God. Amen. amen. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about um, Naaman. You remember that? He was a, This guy was a... Just give you a little foreground so I don't have to read the whole thing. He was a Syrian army uh, general. He was a very successful general. He had done mighty things. He was a great man of valor in that kingdom, except he had leprosy. <laughs> it adds that. 
um, in the first verse. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start reading in the second verse because by the time I give you the synopsis, I, I could have already read it. So, the second verse. Now, the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl. So, they had a little slave girl that they had captured in Israel. And she was in the household of this, this army general and serving his wife. And she said, oh, if only if he could go over and, and see the prophet in my homeland, he would be healed. You know? And they're like, wait a minute. So... So she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, he told the king. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he was important to this king. It was this great general. And he said, hey, if that's, if that's the deal, then here, I'm going to send a, a letter of introduction to the king of Israel. And, uh, and uh, he did it. It just didn't go off well. But, so here's what happened. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. So he, he, he packed up the, this train load of, of wealth and riches and 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 things to go and be uh, give as a gift in exchange for his healing, right? Um, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, "When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy." And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, "Am I a god?" To kill and make alive, and this man sends words to me to cure a man of leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. And so he he gets in the flesh right away. This king of Israel, and he starts thinking that it's some sort of trick, and this and that he's asking him to do something he can't do, which he couldn't have his own strength, of course. And he he thought the guy was just trying to start a, a, a fight with him. But Elisha, the prophet, heard about it. He says, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. So this, this general pulls up, so, so they finally get it all sorted out, and he goes to the prophet's house, and it's probably some sort of a humble setting, and he arrives and probably all of his splendor and, and uh, regalia, I would imagine, and with all these gifts and his uh, entourage, right? And, and guess what Elisha does? He doesn't rush out there to greet him and, and send his servants to help him. No, here's what it says. Um, in verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha just sent somebody outside to go... He said, Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now, anybody that has seen the Jordan River, which I know some of you have, it's not a, it's not a beautiful, sparkling, crystal clear mountain stream. It is a muddy river. And... Uh, <laughs> Then and and in in Syria where Naaman this general had come from, they have beautiful rivers and water, right? So anyway, here's what happens. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, "Behold, I thought that you would 
surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So he had these grand ideas and he was going to set the pace and say how this is supposed to take place, right? And cure the leper. And are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he got offended. So he turned and went away in a rage. But, thank God, he had a wise servant. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, is it, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He's actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So, thank God he finally listened to wisdom. But this is a perfect example, folks, of someone who tried to come to God in a big way. But he learned that humility was the only way that we can really approach God. This is a powerful lesson to all of us. Because in one way or another, or in many ways, <laughs> we, we have all done the same thing, and we still do to some degree. So it's a great message to reflect on and just consider the simple but powerful truths in that. God is not going to do things our way. We're not going to be able to buy his, his blessings or love or privilege or any of that nonsense. We don't want to get trapped into following the wisdom of the world or the, the mindsets of how we think God ought to do things for our relationships or our finances or our health or our emotions or anything else. We need to learn to speak God's truth in faith and watch what happens. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. I mentioned this last week, and I want you to I want to keep mentioning it until you start thinking of Jesus, the apostle and high priest of your confession. There's a lot packed into that little scripture right there. Hebrews 4.14, right after that, says, Since then we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus again, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Okay, he adds that, without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. So here, profession or confession is not talking about the confession of our sins. It's talking about, it literally means to say the same as God says. Okay? So our words have to agree with the word of God, the promises of God in every area of our lives. And it, it, it pays dividends to seek out the promises concerning you regarding the challenges and trials in your life and make it your own. When it jumps off the page of you at you, that stops being the logos or the written word and it becomes a rhema, a spoken word from God right then. That's why the Bible says this word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword because you could read the same passage of Scripture a thousand times, but one day 
It just goes, Wah! and that is the answer. And you know it, and God knows it, and you can tell it to a hundred other people, and they might go, oh, uh, yeah, okay. But you know, and that's what matters. When God tells you a thing, you do not consult with flesh and blood. Now, I'll qualify that. It needs to line up with the Word of God. It it's never hurts to get godly counsel. And when people prophesy over you and you get a word from the Lord, it generally is something that God has already sort of been saying to you. You have an inkling, an unction, a knowing from the Holy Spirit. And that's why it usually goes, because oh, you know... And, and God knows, and now you know that he's telling someone else to say, yep, I know you're wondering if that's me. Yes, it is. Amen? Amen? Yes. Or oh, me. Okay. <laughs> so if you miss God, go back and say, wait. <laughs> I'm learning more, and I need you to um, just bear with me a little bit more. He's not going to get mad at you. You could ask him for wisdom every day for the rest of your life and he will not withhold it from you and not get angry with you or judge you. But believe that you have what you pray for when you pray and you shall have it. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is the high priest. He sits next to the Father in heaven. He's faithful. Our part is to confess or to say what he has promised in his word regarding our situation and circumstances. Then he's faithful to take that and obligate it even, because this is a, a legal covenant that we have entered into. That's why this blank page between Malachi and Matthew, look at that, turn right to it, is so important because there's a huge difference between the old covenant of law that only lasted 1,500 years and the new covenant of grace and truth. <laughs> Amen. Or oh me. So then he's faithful to, to bring it to pass. If you will just stand believing and not waver. Huh? You say, well, is this message about humility or is it about the confession of my faith? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. How can you separate the two? Randy and I were just talking. I, he was talking about reading John 17 today. And he says, I'm just, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just all coming alive to him and it, regarding him and God. And that's, see, that's, ooh, that's that relationship that makes you understand you don't need any religion. You don't need anything but Jesus. And that he loves you and he's got you. But I said, yeah, now you understand that chapter in my book where I said, it's like a circle. I said, you can't, you can't interrupt it in any phase. Any part that's removed is, just takes it away. It's all connected. He's like, yeah. I love those kind of conversations. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you truly believe what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, it will humble you. Amen. If you truly believe it, and you'll not only confess it or say it, you'll want to shout it from the rooftops, folks. You don't want anybody to miss it. Philemon is a one-page... You want to make yourself feel good about yourself in your Bible reading? You can read a whole book 
in about 30 seconds. Go read Philemon. It's a one-page... It's not the only one either. You can read, you can read Third John if you want, <laughs> and you can read those. You can read two books in the Bible in just less than a minute. <laughs> but Philemon chapter one, we'll call it, since there's only one chapter though. It's verse six, and I read it from the King James because they captured it more perfectly. Although you can read it either way, and it leads you to the same thing. The King James Version of Philemon 1.6 says that the communication of thy faith may make effectual, become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. So everything that God has put in you, everything that is yours, everything that is holy, all the love, joy, and peace, all the healing, all the provision, all of that, it comes effective in your life manifested by acknowledging or voicing or saying or confessing all the good things that God has done on your behalf and that, that are in you and that He has already accomplished. It's voice activated. Second Corinthians 5.7 says we're called to live a life of faith and not by sight, right? But he says... Hold fast our confession without wavering. And then without going over to it again, in James, the brother of Jesus, he said, he said it again. He reiterated. He says, you have to, you have to say and believe and do not doubt. Because if you doubt, once you have prayed, then don't expect to receive anything from God. And he's not saying it in meanness. He's saying it as a warning to prepare you. Listen, you do have a part to play. You can't say you're standing in faith when you're really just dancing all around the bar, ballroom. 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 <laughs> in other words, you're in faith, you're out of faith. You're in faith, you're out of faith. Turn on who you're talking to on the phone, and then you get back and, Lord, I'm just believing you, and, oh, I'm so sick on the phone. You know, it's, you've got, you can't, you can't jump around and, and expect this spiritual tug-of-war that's taking place, you're just wearing the angels out. <laughs> they go to work, and then you give legal authority for the enemy, and then they go sit down again. <laughs> you have to understand there's a spiritual war taking place, folks. I've got to make you see that. Some of you probably do. Maybe better than me. Maybe I've got to help me to see it better so I can convey it better. But I get it. I get it. So, we make our confession by professing, by saying what God says, and we hold fast to what we've said without wavering. Isn't that really the, I mean, you're like, you already said that, dude. I'm saying again, because that's a big thing. That's where even Christians who live a life, who understand grace, who understand faith, they... This is where we struggle the most. It is just really hard not to say what you see. That's right. Now, true faith never denies the facts. This isn't Christian science. Arm got cut off, sir. Uh, oh, that's not my arm. That's not Christian and it's not science. Okay. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody today. Yet. 
Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for He is faithful who promised. Why does it say without wavering? Because when things get tough the temptation to let go does come. And that's what we're trying to prepare for in advance. If you prepare your hearts, if you prepare your mind against the enemy's tactics, then when it happens, you're like, I've already been waiting for you, bro. A great man of God named T.L. Osborne, he used to say, he used to say, I want so many people focus on the devil. He goes, I don't even consider him to be a threat. He is nothing. He says, that devil comes to me and he's like, are you T.L. or Jesus? Are you T.L. or Jesus? He, he goes, he can't even tell because I say in the name of Jesus so often. He don't know if he's looking at me or Jesus. <laughs> and he said, sometimes I tell him, this is T.L. But I'm not coming to you as T.L. And you know it. I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. And listen, that's the authority that you wield if you only knew it. He's no threat. His teeth have been pulled. The keys have been taken. He just tricks us into using us to create for him. He's not a creator. He's never created anything in his life. All he's done is destroy and lie. And he has no authority except what the children of God give him. Because we're the ones that have tremendous authority. And when we speak on his on the devil's behalf, whether we intend to or not, I didn't really mean it. That's alright. If the devil's jumping up and down with joy, it still helped him. If it opened the door, it still helped him. Listen, life is sometimes hard. Life is generally pretty hard. <laughs> We're very blessed here, you know. I don't minimize that and I don't complain. That, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it doesn't matter if you're in a pit or a palace. Life is hard. It's just going to be that way because it's a fallen world. But God, but God, I hope you get those two words on your lips. And that any time you do catch yourself saying something that doesn't line up with the goodness and the provision and the promises of God, you never stop short of saying, but God. And then complete the sentence and, and, and say what he has provided, what he has said. He's faithful. And learning to cooperate with God's spiritual laws is not a work. You know, this is, we're all about grace here. This is, but we're just learning to cooperate with God's laws because they're there for our benefit. And what not only do we want to be helped, healed everywhere we heard, empowered by His promises and provision and loved and prospered, we want to help others with that same help, don't we? So we're not trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to earn His love or forgiveness or blessing by doing or learning these things and putting them into practice. We're not... The, we're not counting on these things to gain favor from God. We already have His favor. He's already taken care of all that through the atoning work of the cross. By grace you have been saved. And we are learning to position ourselves to walk in and after the blessing of God, the strength of God, the power of God, the provision of God all the time. So that we can be effective Soldiers 
Generals even. For the kingdom of God. Hmm? In God's army. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way to look at it right now. You know, grace is a a payment for work you haven't done. And your faith is just accepting the check. (laughs) But living a life of faith can be very trying at times, and especially when we take our eyes off of Jesus. You see what happened to Peter. He starts thinking. So that's a, that's a real good clue of where our focus needs to be. God says, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. God likes it when we trust him, when we put our faith in him, because that's where our help is. And it makes God, it blesses God. It makes him proud. It makes him happy. He already loves you. You're not going to earn anything, but you're going to reap the benefits of it in the sweet now and now. Amen. (laughs) When everything seems to be going against you in this life, sometimes we just need to remember that planes don't take off going with the wind. They go into the, the wind. Huh? Say an old dead fish can float downstream. It takes effort to swim upstream. Huh? Let's look over in Ephesians chapter 6 since you brought it up, Miss Cheryl. Let's just look over in Ephesians chapter 6. When the trials of our faith come, we're blessed to be strengthened. By the fact that Jesus is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he's already made all the provision for every area of our lives that we need. We aren't limited, though, to seeing a natural Jesus after the flesh like like his disciples were. I think he was harder on them. Because now we have a great revelation of Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Next time we see him, he's not going to be a suffering Savior. He's going to be a conquering King. And that's what he is right now. King of kings and Lord of lords. Ephesians chapter 6. That scripture from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 is the one that Miss Cheryl quoted earlier. Our our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the devil and his his army. Those spiritual forces at work. And, And when we realize that, we have to realize that there is another realm that is more real... It created this realm, okay? That is really here. And just not acknowledging the battle will just assure you lose. It's not going to help you by burying your head in the sand. It's just going to make sure that the enemy's attacks are not thwarted whatsoever by you. Now God, in His infinite mercy and grace and wisdom, is always trying to help you. He will have people across the globe praying for you. I am certain of that. I caught... Him doing that with me one time. And so I know he's done it many times, but when my wife and I were trying to figure out what tongues was all about, and she was like, write down, write it down, write it down. And man, I have these beautiful just languages and things just pouring out of me. 
And we knew, and she would, and then we would Google it. Whatever we could figure out, we would go, and, and God just spoiled us so much because He would show us these wonderful things that were going on. And not just in our midst, not just for us, but everywhere in the world. And we were praying for things. It's another story for another time. Ephesians chapter 6, after that verse that she read, verse 13, Therefore, since our battle is not against people, your enemy is not sleeping in the bed next to you with the gold band on their finger. (laughs) The enemy is the devil and his army. And he goes, therefore, therefore, because there's a spiritual war raging, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Go to the pawn shop and find some armor. Go to the army surplus store and find some stuff you can use in case the Russians invade. No. God is giving you his armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is showing us that we do have a part to play. You've got the shield, but if you don't pick that thing up... (laughs) And what is the shield? Our faith. We have to stand firm in faith and not waver. But then there's promise of provision and protection from God, isn't there? Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Oh my gosh. We have to kick you out of our church if you do that. Okay, well, that's a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. Is He not allowed in your church? He gave me a prayer language when I met Him. I can't use it. Not even in my own prayer closet. With all prayer and supplication. So, God is awesome. He's made provision. Let me tell you a story about that. There's a pastor that I admire. And he told a story. When he was a young evangelist, he was going everywhere. Now he's a a wonderful pastor. He has a great church. But he was struggling with uh, God's love for him. You know how we do. Condemnation, rejection issues, all the nonsense. But he was been ministering, he's ministering his heart out. And, and a lot of times when you're young minister and you live in condemnation and you're trying to outlive your past and everybody around you is holding it against you anyway, but you, yeah, but God has forgiven you. God loves you. You're trying to... You're trying to balance all this out. And so I think a lot of young ministers, they go out there and they're really still trying to earn his favor and approval, right? And they're doing wonderful things. And this minister was doing wonderful things. People getting healed, people getting saved by the droves, young people, old people, anybody. And he just 
was having trouble reconciling it. And he had an open vision one day before he went to minister before this big young group. And it was wonderful. He basically got caught up to heaven. And he was... He was... He was a soldier. And I, I, I sort of picture it as a, like a Roman soldier, you know, because that's what they're describing here with this armor of God and everything. And he was there in heaven before the, the big gates made of pearls, right? And the gates opened, and here he was in his full battle attire with his helmet and the shield and the armor and all that stuff. And he had his sword on and his helmet on, and he was covered with mud and blood and sweat, just weary from the battle. And as the doors opened, he walked into the throne room, and there was, there was the king sitting on the throne. And the whole court was filled with all of the, the dignitaries. And as he walked in, they all began to speak, and then, and then the Lord, or the king, asked everyone except for him to leave. And they all filed out and the doors closed behind them. And when they did, this pastor, as a soldier, he takes his helmet off, he unbuckled his sword and put it down. And the king gets down off of the throne and takes his crown off. He walks down to the soldier and he embraces him and kisses him. And then he takes him, he puts his arm around and walks with him up to the throne and invites him to sin. He notice all of the blood and mud and sweat and fatigue are gone. And he walks with him up to the throne and he sits him next to him on the throne and he embraces him and they, and they just talk. And after a little while, he gets back down and he puts back his, his helmet and his sword back on and the king is on the throne and he puts his, his crown back on and then they open the doors again and all of the people of the court file back in and he turns around and heads back out the doors and as he's leaving he hears them all whispering nobody knows what happens when they close the doors you need to see yourself as that soldier your father loves you he loves you. We can never truly understand the depths of his love for us, but he does. He just does. And you need to get over it. <laughs> or don't. I like to say I've never gotten over. Never gotten over being saved, and I don't want to. But to be an effective soldier or ambassador or whatever you want to call it for the kingdom of God, for our own protection and to defeat the influence of the enemy in our lives and the lives of others, we need to walk in agreement with God.
So we will always say the same thing as God. Amos 3.3, he says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Hmm? It takes a lot of practice. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's why we're talking about it. You know, we've all, this is not really news in the sense that it was a, it's an epiphany, but maybe it's reigniting in your heart because we've all tried it and failed in many ways, but we need to practice and practice and practice until it just becomes second nature because it's it is your first nature really by not doing it we're agreeing with an old nature that doesn't even exist anymore (laughs) it was taught to us by the world wrongly by the way (laughs) but it's a free will choice and saying what god says if we grow in that it pays tremendous dividends Amen. I have another story, but I think this is good right here. I think we're going to stop right here. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your precious word. Thank you for growing us and teaching us and showing us how much you truly do love us and how all of the instructions and things in your word are are not... Legalistic. They're not for us to earn your favor or your love. You already love us. That's why you've given us these instructions. Because they're here to help us in this war against an enemy that doesn't love us. So thank you for your protection and your word and your love and your promises. Thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you are a great high priest who we can come to and speak to about everything. And that you don't judge us, you love us and you guide us and teach us and restore our souls, which we need so desperately. Thank you, Lord, for using us to not only be helped, but to help others with the same help we've received. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Yeah, thank you, Lord.